everyone, and welcome to another episode of God is Not a Theory with Ken Fish. I'm your host, Grant Pemberton. And on today's broadcast, Ken is joining us via automobile as uh, as he's in between uh, meetings and all of that. We're squeezing this one in because we feel like it's really important. Um, and here we are at the end of the year. We started the year somewhere around the point of talking about a new reformation that is needed. And we've been talking and dialoguing through that Um man can all year really back and forth and right. um and now here we have a, an article that uh, you and i were texting about i believe on christmas day or christmas eve or something like that right um, from premier christian news and so we're gonna we're gonna talk about uh, what this is saying um ken i'll just tee it up because i know that you're uh you're in the car and so uh, I'll, I'll just sort of give everyone an overview The headline of the article by uh, Premier Christian uh, News is that most U.S. Christians believe faith in God is not required to enter heaven, is what the poll finds. And what it says is, breaking it down, that they surveyed, um, you know, about 6,000 people. And overall, U.S. adults said that they believe both in heaven and hell, although significantly more in heaven, with 73% saying they believe in heaven as compared to 62% saying they believed in hell. And it says that, um, you know, primarily it says when it comes to faith in God being a requirement to enter heaven, 68% of Catholics and 58% of mainline Protestants said people can go to heaven without believing in God. Um, While, uh, let's see, 21% of evangelicals and 31% from historically black churches said only believers can access it. Uh, meanwhile, 25% of those surveyed said they n- believed in neither heaven nor hell, including 7% who believe in some other kind of afterlife and 17% who do not believe in anything at all. The, the shocking thing about all of those percentages is that of the people polled, and uh, which represents uh, the majority of Americans, of Americans claim that they believe in God or a higher power. So out of those 91%, we have yet again, staggering statistics that show that they may believe in a God, but it certainly doesn't seem like it's the God of the Bible. So Ken, what do you think about all this? Well, obviously, Grant, the reason uh, the reason I wanted to talk about it is these are, as you said, shocking statistics. And um, let's try to break this down so that people can get their arms wrapped around it. Ninety one percent of Americans say they believe in God, whatever exactly that might mean. And I think it's important to recognize that when people say God, they may mean many different things. Uh, They might believe Hopefully, they believe in the Christian God, um, the one that is portrayed in the Bible, uh, who, by the way, is also uh, the God of Judaism. Jesus just taught us to call him Father, uh, rather than this distant, you know, deity who uh, sometimes uh, could be perceived as angry. Although I think the prophets do a fairly good job of characterizing God as kind and loving, who's held out his hands all day long to a people who rejected him. And so the so-called anger of God that is often mischaracterized, I really believe is uh, that of a, you know, of a spurned lover or a friend who's been mistreated by a friend, however you want to say that. Um, Jesus did say, I no longer call you servants, but friends. So that's, that's the best case. They believe in that Judeo-Christian God um, whom the Jews would not even utter his name. Many Christians are cavalier with the name these days. The Jews simply called him Hashem, the name. Um, Jesus said, call him father. All right, there, there's the best. It goes down from there. They might believe in the God that the Muslims term Allah. Uh, they might believe in one of many of the Hindu gods. They might believe in the God that was popular in the 18th century, uh, that we call the deist God, meaning he was, uh, he, he, he created the universe. He wound it up like a clock. Um, and then he left it there running, uh, but didn't really intervene in the affairs of the universe anymore after that. 
And so there are these different versions of God. And, you know, I think in, in the ways of mankind, uh, or maybe I should say humankind to make sure I'm not offending anyone, uh, in the ways of humanity, we, we always want to remake God in our own image. And that's why we need the Bible as a benchmark. So whatever these 91% of Christians mean, by the numbers, we've got about 350 million uh, Christ, uh, excuse me, people in the United States of America right now. So if you knock off roughly 10% of that or 35 million, that means we've got about 315 million people who claim to believe in some form of God, whatever exactly that means to them. Um, that's, a, that's an overwhelming majority. And you would like to think that it would be affecting the way we live, the way we think, the way we do politics, the way we do race relations. I mean, it would affect everything. But in fact, it's not. And this is really why these numbers are so important. Now, let's talk about these numbers for a second. This, uh, this report was put out by Premier Christianity. Um, this is a British publication. Uh, I've been on their broadcasts in the past. And they are generally reckoned as the gold standard of uh, evangelical and even charismatic Christianity within the United Kingdom. Uh, in the UK, there is a distinction between charismatics and evangelicals, but it's a, lot, it's a lot closer together than it is in the United States. So this essentially represents the, the conservative end of the Christian spectrum. And premier Christianity is the equivalent in the United Kingdom of the magazine Christianity Today in the United States. Um, and for those who don't know, Christianity Today got its start under the auspices of Billy Graham. Um, and it, it has for, for a long time been a bastion of conservative um, evangelicalism and hopefully the best of all that conservative evangelicalism represents. Uh, it's scholarly, it's tried to be ironic, which means peaceable. Um, it's tried to give a balanced view on things. There's been some editorial changes in the last few years. And so many people don't have the confidence in Christianity today that they once had. But historically, Christianity today was kind of a benchmark standard for anybody. I don't care if you were Baptist or Wesleyan or, you know, a conservative Methodist or a Presbyterian. I mean, this was this was where you went to the well. Um, and nowadays, charisma has actually eclipsed Christianity today. It's obviously, with a name like that, a much more charismatically focused magazine. And it has a larger circulation even than Christianity today. And some of that is the decline of Christianity today because of the loss of confidence in its editorial policies. Uh, some of it is the growth of charismatic Christianity within the United States. So again, I'm, I'm comparing and benchmarking all at once here. But when we talk about Premier Christianity, the, uh, the magazine or the publication, they have an online version as well. You don't have to get a paper magazine anymore. Um, Premier is the UK version of Christianity Today. And like, it, like Christianity Today, they try to be ironic. They try to be balanced. They try to be scholarly. And so this, this poll that they are quoting from the Pew Research uh, Foundation, this is one of the most credible religious polling organizations in the world. Um, in the past, when we've done these podcasts, we've spoken of George Barna and his research organization. I'm not sure which of these two is the most trusted, but I'll tell you one thing. Neither of them gets their numbers wrong. Neither of them has a particular angle or spin that they're after. They just go after the data. They let the numbers speak for themselves, and you could draw your conclusions from the numbers. And the fact that the Pew Research Organization polled 6,000 people, um, it's a well-known number within statistical analysis that uh, if you have a sample size that is, and this is an important term I'm about to use, that is sufficiently randomized, meaning there isn't a direct correlation of one data point to another, um, they are random. They, you know, they just occur as they do. If you have a data set of greater than 30 and you start drawing conclusions, you are justified in assuming that this represents the whole. Obviously, the larger the data set, um, the better the analysis. When you get to a sample size of 6,000, 
This is 200 times the minimum for a statistically meaningful sample. And I guarantee you, without having looked at the study, that if the Pew Research Organization did a study with 6,000 people, trust me, it was sufficiently randomized. And so what we've got now is, you know, about 315 million people in the U.S., round numbers. Um, and I, and that, this is what we do when we do uh, this kind of high-level analysis. We could get into the, you know, 0.1% stuff, but it doesn't move the needle. We're just trying to look at overall trends, and that's why I'm, I'm talking big picture. So we've got about 315 million people in the U.S. who say they believe in God, but the big question is, which God do they believe in? And so one of the really important things that I think comes out of the Pew Research poll that's quoted by, uh, by uh, Premier is that nearly a third of Black Christians hold to the historic faith. It was 31%. Uh, they say you, you can't get into heaven uh, without believing in Jesus, whereas uh, 20%, I think was the number you read out, uh, of white Christians believe that. So the blacks are actually doing far better than the whites are in holding to the historic faith. And I want to remind everybody that um, in the book of Jude, it's not a book we tend to preach from very much these days, uh, because we're all about identity and, you know, how much God loves us. But there are these other books of the Bible, they are scripture. And the book of Jude says, I was going to write to you about, uh, you know, the common faith we shared, but it was more urgent that I write to you and urge you to contend earnestly for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And so what we are talking about when it comes to matters of heaven and hell is in fact part of the core or what used to be known as the kerygma, the kernel, the root of Christianity. Heaven and hell, the doctrine of last things is right in the center of it. Not too long ago, uh, a couple of years back, I was having a private conversation with a very prominent uh, preacher here in the U.S. I won't say who it was, but uh, most people listening to this podcast would, would automatically recognize the name. And this individual said that within the renewal streams of Christianity, the renewal streams, not, not kind of mainstream, what some would call dead orthodoxy or uh, liberal Christianity, mainstream Protestantism, not Catholicism, but, you know, churches that are that are charismatic and spirit filled churches like the one that you lead, Grant, churches like the ones that I often preach in. Uh, this particular leader said to me that 80 um, percent, that's eight out of 10, just to be clear, in case it didn't come through clearly, uh, or four fifths of the people who are, quote unquote, out there on the circuit who are preaching right now within the renewal uh, are annihilationists. Now, this is a term we don't tend to use very much, so let me define it. Annihilation, of course, I think most people understand what that means, to wipe out or to, to vanish, to die. So annihilationism is the belief that if you die without accepting Christ, you won't go to hell. You will simply be extinguished. You will you know, you'll be like a candle when you snuff out the wick and the flame goes away and that's it. But there's, there's actually no penalty of hell pending for those who do not believe in Jesus. I, I was kind of shocked by this, and I, I, you know, I queried this individual um, who then clarified it further, but, but effect, effectively doubled down on, on uh, what they had just said. So when we think about this, we've got this annihilationist trend running through what we would like to think of as the most switched on spirit-filled, uh, forward-looking, excited, consecrated branch of the church. Four-fifths of them believe that if you die without Christ, you won't go to hell. You'll just lie in the dust of the earth, and whatever happens to the earth, whether it's burned up when the sun goes supernova, or uh, you know Jesus comes back, or whatever your version of the end times is, um, there will no longer be anything to talk about because you will have already decayed away to dust and you'll just vanish in that. But that's it. There, there's, no, there's no doctrine of eternal punishment. And that's really what this Pew Research poll is pointing to, except it's asking a different question. It's not asking about annihilationism. It's actually asking about, can you go to heaven 
uh, through some means other than Jesus. And the takeaway from all of this data that you read out to us, Grant, is that most people who claim to be Christians in America don't think, A, you need to believe in God, which is a shocking thought, or B, you don't have to believe in Jesus uh, in order to go to heaven. In fact, you don't really have to believe very much. When I was in college, some of my friends and I, we used to call this the belief in being minimally decent. If you're minimally decent as defined by the standards of our society, whatever those are, um, I, I guess it means you don't mug old ladies and you don't commit murder. Um, nowadays, we'd probably put, uh, you know, you can't be judgmental. That's become one of the cardinal sins of our day. Uh, and you can't, uh, you can't be in the Jeffrey Epstein child molester camp. As long as you haven't done one of those four cardinal sins, you are, in fact, in good shape. And when you show up in front of God on Judgment Day, and there is this thing called the great white throne judgment contemplated in scripture. We will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ is what Paul says. And we will give an account for the deeds done in the body. That's also what Paul says. Um, so this idea that you don't even need to believe in God uh, or that you don't have to believe in Jesus, uh, this is, this is, it's false doctrine. I don't know what else to call it. Um, we want to be kind and inclusive. We want to have a big tent, but this has been part of the bitter fruit of the mega church movement that we make the tent so big that anybody can come in and there's no call to discipleship. And there's all that includes, there's no call of discipling the mind. There's no call to get people to embrace the historic truths of the faith. Peter said on Pentecost, um, salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name given under heaven by which now, he used the term men, but he meant all people, so men and women, can be saved. There is no other name under heaven by which people can be saved. None. Not Allah, not Krishna, not Brahma, not Buddha. We get saved through the name of Jesus, who gave himself for all men and women, a sacrifice in due course. He died on the cross, and this is really at the core of Christianity. So even though it seems like it's not a big deal that people are saying, yeah, sure, you can go to heaven without even believing in God, let alone, you know, believing in the atoning work of Christ. Even though that seems like not a big deal, it is actually undercutting the very essence of Christianity. It is, it is gutting the core doctrines of Christianity. And with that, um, this is part of my grave concern for the state of American Christianity at this time. I know there's a lot of talk going on about the great awakening and the coming revival. And I've seen a lot of repentance in my meetings during the month of December. Um, just as I've traveled in various places, it's been a lighter for me, but still uh, people have come forward. They've many with weeping and tears. And as they say, gnashing of teeth. Encouraged by that. But when I think of 315 million people out there out of 350 million who claim to believe in some version of God, and effectively two thirds of them think you can go to heaven without actually believing that God exists, um, I'm not sure what God we're talking about. I'm not sure what version of Christianity we're talking about. But I can tell you the state of Christianity in America is far, far worse than we think it is. And whatever this revival is that's pending, it, we, we're going to need a lot of revival, not just a little bit, not just a flash in the pan. And it's going to need to be multi-generational. Well, that's a lot of words. So let me stop and give you a chance to uh, respond to what I've said. Yeah, well, I was I was reading on in the article and, and it says that 38 uh, percent of Protestants uh, believe uh, that there is only one way. So it breaks it down even further. Says the question of whether many religions can lead to eternal life in heaven was also posed to respondents. For 38% of Protestants, their faith is the one true faith that leads to eternal life. Compared That's to just Christians. over a third. That right. means two thirds don't think that their faith is unique. Right. 16% of Catholics uh, believe that their faith is unique. So, so it's even worse than than all of that is that basically now. You know, the, the people that would claim to be Christians are, in fact, some sort of universalists. That, That's correct. 
that have just sort of amalgamized a lot of good thoughts and religions and picked and choose. And I was just doing some, some math. So there's about 141 million Protestants uh, in, in the U S um, about 70 million or so Catholics. So then, you know, you can do, do the numbers from that. But what, what that's saying is out of this 315 that say they believe in God, you have, you know, 210 million or so uh, that uh, would say that they believe in the Judeo-Christian God uh, of those, right? So then you right. have another, another 100 million or so that believe in all of the other religious you know, gods. So two-thirds of those God-fearers claim to be Judeo-Christian. And, and so the numbers are staggering as far as the, the small percentage that actually seem to hold to. Again, this is the things that we've talked about before. These are, these are really basic tenets of the faith. This isn't, we're not getting into, you know, immaculate conception. We're not getting into, um, you know, some of the things that have split hairs as far as the Trinity and as far, as far as all of those more complex things. We're talking like a really central, easy thing is that, yeah, Jesus is the way. Uh, the truth and the life. And so it makes you wonder, you know, I think a lot of our, our preaching and teaching and evangelism is geared towards, you know, atheism and trying to convince people of that. And I wonder if, if really we need to be changing how we discuss Christian faith as though we're talking to people that have faith in in all kinds of spiritualism. Um, I think that's exactly correct. Um, you know, one of the scriptures that we've discussed in the past when we did our seven-part series on the New Reformation uh, is where Jesus speaks to the church at Laodicea, and he says, strengthen, sorry, it's to Sardis, and he says, strengthen what is weak and is about to die. And that really is the state of the church in America. I'm not saying there aren't points of strength. Um, there are some churches that are highly regarded. Uh, they preach the truth. Um, they are doing it well. But, you know, for every, for every Rivendell, for every Lothlorien, uh, for every Gondor, you have the wider stretches and swaths of Middle Earth that are somehow in, in play. They are being contested by Sauron and his forces. And many of the lands that were formerly viewed <clears throat> as lands of the West are being overrun by orcs. Now, I'm obviously speaking metaphorically um, and using the Lord of the Rings as my metaphor. But, but I really think people need to wake up and smell the coffee that these are the times in which we live. These are uh, perilous times, uh, treacherous times. And in fact, this is quite consistent with what Jesus said. Again, we I know we are all calling for a great revival and a great awakening. It, it has literally become one of the tenets of the faith within Renewal Stream Christianity that there's going to be a great outpouring. Um, just yesterday, I received a letter from a friend of mine and, you know, their ministry, and they were going on and on about, you know, the great outpouring and all that. Um, and I preach this, too. So, I mean, I want to see this happen. Don't Don't anyone misunderstand me. But notwithstanding all of that as disclaimer, the state of the church is appalling. And let me remind everyone that America is the most Christianized Western nation in the world. There are some non-Western nations that have had great moves of God. Uh, right now, it's being reported that in Iran, as much as 50% of the population is Christian. Uh, Iran is not what we typically think of as a Western nation, but I'm not thereby trying to discount Iranian Christianity. I'm just saying in the traditional strongholds of Christendom, <clears throat> um, America, United States of America is far ahead of, well, Canada is far ahead of Australia and New Zealand is far ahead of anywhere in Western Europe and even much of Eastern Europe, because the communists did a, you know, did a very good job of snuffing out many of the vestiges of faith. I'm not saying there's no faith in Eastern Europe or for that matter in Western Europe. Um, I have friends that are church leaders and they're staunch 
ardent believers uh, in many of the Western countries. Uh, I was at a meeting in October, had lunch with some Finnish leaders, some Danish leaders. I'm supposed to go to Germany in March. I'm not saying it isn't there, but I'm saying as a percentage of the overall population, it's de minimis. So America's way ahead of the rest of the world. And so Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? I mean, that's a really, really important statement that we need to reckon with. When he returns, will there be any faith left on the earth? And it isn't just some randomized faith that we're talking about here and some randomized God that the 91% of Americans might believe in. But we mean specifically faith in him as the Messiah, as our Savior, faith in our Father, uh, because we have been taught to trust in our Father and to approach him in the name of his Son. I, I mean, that's the faith that Jesus is talking about. And what these numbers tell us is there is a great slide into a, apostasy. There is no better word to use than that. Um, going on within historic Protestantism. So by that, we mean the mainstream denominations. And this isn't meant to be all inclusive, but representative names would be pretty much any branch of Presbyterian, pretty much any branch of Methodist, many Baptists, although not all, uh, would certainly include Episcopalians, Congregationalists, Church of Christ, uh, anybody like that. Uh, the Unitarians, I, I would, some would want to list them too. I'm not sure I think of the Unitarians theologically as Christian, but, but certainly they get lumped together with historic mainstream Protestantism. And then, of course, the Catholic Church doesn't really need a lot of explanation. It's, it's kind of viewed in many quarters as monolithic. Uh, it's not monolithic. There are a lot of nuances within Catholicism. But, but 16% of Catholics are saying that you don't even need to believe in God to go to heaven. Well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure where that leaves the Catholic faith, but what I do know is the same Catholics uh, who are saying that their Bible is the one that we use that says in the Book of Jude that we are urged to contend earnestly for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And so it doesn't really matter where you are on the spectrum. What we see is that there is a great departure from the historic tenets of Christianity that is underway. Can God turn that around and awaken it? Absolutely, He can. This is the God we serve. <coughs> but <coughs> there is a pragmatic reality. And the pragmatic reality is that once people's mindset shifts and they no longer believe that you really must believe in Jesus in order to find eternal life. Once your mindset shifts, shifting it back is a bigger job. And so the fact that we are already in this place means, uh, like the, the, the legend of Sisyphus out of Greek mythology, he had to push a rock up a hill. That's kind of what we're doing. We're pushing a rock up a hill. We have effectively lost control of the conversation. We've lost control of the culture. We've even lost control of our own theology. And because we've lost control of our theology, Pretty much anybody can say anything they want, and it will be viewed as acceptable. And, and this is really the bitter fruit of postmodernism. There, there really is no truth because everything is viewed as true. But actually, we are told that we were given the faith once for all delivered to the saints, and this is truth. Jesus said in his high priestly prayer, Father, your word is truth. I mean, we, we are called to love the truth. So the word of God, the scriptures actually do lay out, uh, they lay out norms, <clears throat> norms of belief, norms of behavior, norms of doctrine. And we are, we are enjoined, not just encouraged, but we are commanded to align our thoughts and our lives with those standards. And anything less than that isn't that. And so with it, we could say that, um, if these numbers are you know, broadly holding true across all of the Western world, and of course the percentage of those who quote unquote believe in God is lower in many of these other countries, church attendance in Europe, I don't think there's a single country in Western Europe that has more than 2% of its population attending church. So um, they're way, way, way worse off than we are. In Australia, um, around about 
uh, 10% of the 9% is the actual number of the population attends church, but it's dropped during COVID and they haven't done any analysis since the COVID crisis began. So it may no longer be 9%, but historically Australia has been more Christianized than Western Europe. But, but if these are the trend lines we're looking at, I don't know what we're talking about when we talk about the church, other than these isolated points of light, but they aren't many and we need many more. And so what this really means to boil it down to a, a, a soundbite, we need to re-evangelize the West. Yeah, we, we have a tremendous amount of work uh, to do. And, you know, basically I, I did some, some more math uh, and, you know, essentially what this says is 18% of the population of the country believes that uh, you, you have to believe in the Christian God to get to heaven. So that's sort of the lowest bar uh, into, into the faith, other than that God exists, I suppose. So um, we have a tremendous amount of work to do, and there's, there's a tremendous amount of things working against the awakening that needs to take place where people understand that they're, they're not followers of Jesus. Right. I mean, and so I think what happens is what this is saying is that we have a significant amount of people who believe that they are following Jesus. And this is, this is the scripture, right? Where Jesus says, there's going to be so many people that say, Lord, Lord, and he's going to say, I don't know you. And this is how that happens. You know, it's, it's, to me, it's one of the most frightening passages in scripture. And so we have, we have a problem that we have to solve. If you're listening to this, we, we, we have, we have a problem. The problem is how, how do we talk to people who believe that they're fine, that they're, that they're in the Christian camp, and, and they've convinced themselves because maybe of how they vote, maybe of how they consume media, maybe of how they do all these sort of other things, that they're fine. And, and now we have a job not to convince them that God exists, not to convince them um, about any of the other things that maybe we've, we've tried to, to work on. But now we have to say, no, listen, Jesus is the only way. And I mean, so we have to start there, you know, and it's, it's just a, it's a, it's a tall order. Which, by the way, is one of the claims that Jesus himself made of himself. I, you know, I mentioned that Peter said salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name given under heaven whereby we can be saved. But Jesus said, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man comes to the father but by me. Right. A lot of people have tried to dumb that down by saying, well, you know, the way, the truth, and the life. This is what it meant in the Jewish context. And da, da, da. Okay, fair enough. I get it. But the, the, the conclusion of that statement is remains the same. No man, no woman, no child comes to the Father except through me. And this has always been one of the great offenses of Christianity. Um, when the early apostles went out, we see moments of this when uh, Paul is preaching to some of the Roman leaders that he is placed in front of on his way to trial, and they become, they become alarmed. They become stirred up, both because of Paul's ardor, but also his groundedness. Uh, you know, he knows what he's saying. He's convinced that it's right. He's arguing from scripture. Um, and they're like, I don't want to hear you anymore. I, 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 we'll talk about this some other time. And it says that it, it uh, at one point, Paul was discoursing about sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. Judgment. Now, that's a summary term, but it's clearly referring to the reality of eternal hellfire. And, you know, this was part of the missionary impetus that drove prior generations of missionaries to the mission field. They said, how can I know about this Savior and not preach about him. I must bring him to those who have no knowledge of him. And I don't hear a lot of talk. There is some talk. I want to be clear about that. But I don't hear a great deal of talk and emphasis on, you know, reaching those who have not heard in today's circles. Intend, instead, we have a much more therapeutic, fix me, what's wrong with me? How do I get a word? How do I get 
you know, my whatever thing I need fixed in my life. John Wimber always used to say Christianity is not a self-improvement program, but I fear that in our time, we've largely made it one. And part of what happens when we make Christianity a self-improvement program is we get rid of this uh, inconvenient truth of judgment and that actually you aren't just going to waltz into heaven without believing not just in God, but in the person of the Lord Jesus. He is the one and only way to find salvation. And I know even for some of our listeners, that's going to be shocking and rather, what do I want to say? Stark. It's a rather stark statement. And we are encouraged in our time not to make uh, statements that are stark like that. They are viewed as exclusionary. They are viewed as uh, too categorical. We need to nuance everything we say. But, you know, there are a few things in life that are up and down, black and white, uh, red and green, whatever you want to say. And, and this is one of those. And so we need to we need to come back to the supremacy of Christ. We need to come back to the uh, all sufficiency of the atonement, that there is no other way to find heaven other than through him. And I would encourage all of our listeners to whether you're a preacher or not, as you go about your day, I want you to think about the people around you. What, where are they headed? And you might even ask yourself, where am I headed? If your theology is some of this you know, stuff that we've been commenting on. Um, and we need to recover in our time the ability to lead people to Christ. There are very few churches anymore that teach people how to evangelize. How do you actually talk to somebody about Jesus, about the state of their own soul, and how to come into the place of faith where you can have the confidence of heaven. And, you know, it's a funny thing we're talking about this because we've just been through this COVID thing for the last two years. And I've had a lot of conversations with people that say they're Christians, but they are, they are immensely worried that they're going to get COVID and die. And, you know, Paul said, if we have hope only for this life, we are of all men to be most pitied. And in that case, we should eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And so this comes out of 1 Corinthians 15, for those who want to fact check me. Um, I have talked to many Christians or purported Christians who have no confidence of heaven. They have, they have no hope for what's going to happen after they die. I don't know what they've been doing in church, singing happy songs and listening to uplifting sermons, I guess, but, but they actually... I'm not sure they have the confidence of salvation. I mean, we're back to, to absolute brass attacks, bare knuckle foundational stuff here that, that this article in Premier, building on the Pew Research Report, is highlighting. This is the state of affairs. And so, dear Christian or non-Christian, what are you doing with your own salvation? Where are you with the Lord? Have you actually trusted in Christ for your salvation? <laughs> Do you know that if you died of COVID today, you would go to heaven? And not because anybody can go to heaven, whether they believe in God or not, but because the scripture says you can come to the Father if you place your hope in Jesus Christ. And do you know how to, to talk with your friends and family about this? And have you been doing it? Because the fact of the matter is we are not going to get some great awakening, some great move of God without an engaged people who are preaching the gospel house to house, which means kind of everywhere they go, day to day, uh, in the marketplace, in the church, wherever they are. This is what's foremost on our minds. This is, this is what frames our entire approach to reality. And if, if your framing of reality is different from what I'm characterizing, you don't necessarily have to believe every single thing uh, exactly as I've worded it, but you certainly need to have these concepts in your mind and in your heart. If this isn't the way you approach life, where are you with God? And, and I know that's kind of in your face. And again, we're encouraged not to be that way, but, but these are really serious matters that we're talking about. And the, the numbers aren't lying. I mean, these numbers are what they are. And so the odds are not in your favor, no matter who you are listening to this, the odds are not in your favor that you are, in fact, among the redeemed. The odds are against you unless you change the odds by by 
choosing as a matter of will and purpose and intent to place your faith in Christ and to reject these false teachings, Paul told Timothy, you must reject the false ideas of what is falsely called knowledge. So you reject these false teachings that are going around about, well, anybody can get in. It doesn't matter what you believe. You don't even need to believe in God, let alone Jesus. You can just kind of, you know, laissez-faire, laissez le bon temps rouler. I'm a basically good guy. I'm a minimally decent gal. It's all good. Um, God loves you, and it's awesome. If that's your approach to Christianity, I hate to say it, but I'm not sure you're actually a Christian. Well, and, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing to think through um, if we sort of dissect what this all means. Uh, you know, I think back to the evangelism explosion days, and the question was, if you died tonight, where would you go? Right. And so that was sort of that was sort of the lead in and it got people thinking, well, now here we are. And it's if you died tonight, where would you go? The answer is implicitly heaven. And so the question then becomes, well, why? Why do you think that's true? And so that's sort of the starting point as opposed to it. And I'm struck, you know, you mentioned Iran and what's happening in Iran. And I'm, I'm fortunate enough to know people that are that are close to, to what's the situation that's going on over there. One of the leaders I've heard say, in the West, we introduce uh, people to Jesus primarily as savior. And, uh, and then later on, try to convince them that he's Lord. Mm. In Iran, they're introducing to G- people to Jesus as Lord first. And then he comes and introduces himself to them as their savior. Wow. And so think about it now. We've introduced a bunch of people to Jesus only as Savior, not as Lord. Now they don't believe they need a Savior because they're going to heaven. And so how, how do we now go about the process of evangelism? And, and really, it's, it's the Bob Dylan song is you've got to serve somebody. That's right. You know, we're, you're, you, there's, no, there's no fence. You're either on this side you're serving satan or you're serving jesus that's it yeah and i think i think that's the call to how do we get a revival how do we get all of that sort of stuff i think it's coming back to the realization that there is a king and we will bow our knee and we we should do it on this side of eternity rather than the other side i think it has to be that's right Well, part of why I wanted to talk about all of this today is the article just came out, but I also wanted to talk about it because we are on the doorstep of a new year. And I really want to challenge everyone who hears this podcast to think seriously and do more than think. Um, I think the word for the year 2022 is engage. We need people to get out of their seats and really start doing, doing the gospel. So in 2022, if you don't, if you haven't led anyone to the Lord in a year, something's wrong. Um, If you don't know how to lead someone to the Lord, there are books on evangelism you can buy. You can find them on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or wherever you buy your books. Um, I have a series on my website on personal evangelism. You don't need to be a crusade evangelist. You don't need a stage. You don't need thousands of people. You just need one single person to talk to. Could be your mother-in-law. Could maybe she really needs it, right? Uh, it could be your brother. It could be your mom or dad, your sister, your whatever. Uh, it could be your neighbor next door. There's a shocking idea. Get out of your house and talk to your neighbor. But we need to engage with this process of evangelism. If you don't know how, get my evangelism series. I also have some individual messages on evangelism. Um, one of them is on the conversion of Philip and um, how we how the process unfolds. Um, but however you do it, and I'm not saying that I have the only thing out there. Um, I really like a book by Paul little called know what you believe and another one called know why you believe. Um, those are both quite good. Grant, you mentioned the book evangelism explosion by James Kennedy. Um, again, these are all available on Amazon. They'll teach you how to win people to Christ. Uh, there's a woman named, uh, Becky. Uh, I think her middle name is Manley and her last name is Pippert, P-I-P-P-E-R-T, called Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World. 
Um, these are all a little older books. They're books that I cut my teeth on when I was a younger uh, man and a younger believer, but um, they helped me get started in evangelism. They, I'm sure they would help you do the same. There may be newer books on evangelism, but given the numbers, I don't know. I don't know what's out there in the religious marketplace, but these are tried and true titles from 20 or 30 years ago. You could go get any one of them and that would be a good place to start as well. Um, but I really want to encourage you this year, 2022, which is at the doors now, uh, I want to encourage you engage in the process of evangelism. I know many of you are afraid. I know many of you have been told that you are a bigot if you uh, try to force your religion on other people and you're not being tolerant and not everybody needs to believe the same as you do. And, um, you know, you're shoving your beliefs down people's throat. You've got all of these things that have been told to you. All of these are the words of the devil. We are told that we must proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth by the Lord Jesus. And so I'm not saying you're going to evangelize every person you meet every single day, but you should have a lifestyle of evangelism. And if you aren't bringing people to Christ with some degree of regularity, something is wrong. I don't know what the something is. It might vary from case to case. That might be an interesting podcast. You know, why, why does evangelism fail? But win, lose, or draw, we got to get going with this thing, or we're never going to have this great awakening that we keep talking about. That's my admonition to you. Happy 2022. <laughs> no, it's so good. It's so good, Ken. I mean, I, we, I, about once a month, I say from the pulpit, you know, when's, how many people are you discipling? And when's the last time that you uh, led someone to faith? You know, we, we have one job that was given to us by Jesus. And that's to go and to make disciples. It's not to spend your your whole day in a prayer closet. It's not to um, read all the stuff or write all the books or whatever. It's it's to go out there and make disciples. And just a word of encouragement: it's really easy right now. It, it's very easy to do this. People are hungry. They are they are scared to death, and they're they're looking for hope. And we see it all the time that uh, people are very open to this. So the fear that you're feeling is what we call a scarecrow. And it's, it's a sign that there is actually a plentiful, plentiful harvest out there. And it, and it is easy. So um, we hope this encourages you uh, as we round out the year and we start the year. May your New Year's resolution be more than losing weight and uh, and eating less may it be more about uh, doing the things that Jesus told us to do. So, Ken, thank you so much for taking time out. And uh, we look forward to uh, we've got a lot of fun things planned for for 2022. And so uh, it's going to be it's going to be a good year. So, Ken, could we leave? Could you bless us for this uh, for this year? I know there's going to be a lot of prayer going around uh, about the Lord. Could you give us a, a year in prayer? Absolutely. Father, we thank you. Uh, for the truths that are laid out in your word. Lord, we're sorry for the times that we read those things and disregard them. We move on as though, well, they go in one ear and out the other or in one eye and out the other. But Lord, you've made it really clear in your word what the, what the boundaries and conditions of Christianity are. And uh, Lord, I want to pray a blessing down on all of our listeners that we would walk faithfully and authentically to you in 2022. And with that, would you activate us all in evangelism? Give us a heart. Give us a burden for those who don't truly know you. Give us a heart. Give us a burden for those who profess to know you, but the evidence of their lives suggests otherwise. Father, give us a heart. Give us a burden for our believers, friends who are in one way or another struggling or ambivalent or intimidated that they could be stronger in their faith and strong in you. Lord, I pray that there would be a grace come down over your church, that many, many would rise up and become effective at leading people to faith, and that we would begin to see the harvest we've been preaching and prophesying about for a generation. Father, without it, the numbers are clear. Christianity in the West is going to go into eclipse, and the day will surely come where our lands <clears throat> will look like lands that were formerly Christian, but are no longer all across the Middle East. 
Lord, this is what this is what faces us. But in you, we can prevail, and in you, we can be strong. And Lord, it isn't really even about us anyway. It's it's about uh, the multitude that you have named, who should be around your throne, praising the Lamb forever and ever. And so, let that vision capture us, and let us become those who enter into the labors that you began through your Son that those who have not seen would see, that those who have not heard would hear, and that there would be a great in-gathering. This is my prayer, Father, for all who listen. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Ken, thanks so much for joining us, and thank you listeners uh, for joining us as well. We look forward to seeing you right back here next week for another episode. And Happy New Year, everybody. That's right. Happy New Year. God is Not a Theory is a podcast of Orbis Ministries. For more information about Orbis Ministries, go to orbisministries.org. If you have questions you'd like to have Ken answer on the podcast, please send us an email to podcast at orbisministries.org. Thanks for listening. Hi, everyone. It's Julia with Orbis Ministries. I just wanted to let you know that if you'd like to learn more from Ken and connect with others in the Orbis community, you can download the Orbis Ministries app on your Apple or Android phone. On the app, you'll find a free teaching archive, a conference schedule, and an internal messaging community. A link to download the app can be found in your description. Thanks so much. God bless.